Thank you for this wonderful time of worship. And as we cover this chapter of Nehemiah um, chapter 6, I pray that we would make application, Lord, because there's so many lessons in here on how the enemy desires to get us away from living a life after you and serving you and desiring, Lord, to, to please you and stay focused on the things of the kingdom. And there are so many distractions or there's devices that the enemy uses to get us off the wall. So, Lord, uh, may we be attentive tonight and may you just bless this study as we look to you to teach us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now remember that Nehemiah, as he's in Jerusalem, it's about 445 B.C., and he's building a wall around Jerusalem, and, and Jerusalem was a mess even a hundred years after uh, the decree was that they could come back from the captivity. Now remember, as we saw in First and Second Kings, and particularly Second Chronicles, that uh, Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem, uh, that was taken by David, uh, David defeated the Jebusites, the city of David would expand and it would become Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the eternal um, city for God, the, the city that God chose to build the temple. And of course Solomon, as we know from First Kings and Second Chronicles, when he built the temple, it was a magnificent uh, building as uh, he used about 180,000 men for seven years to build the temple. And it was, um, you know, huge stones that were used. Uh, they uh, would overlay the temple with gold. Even the floors of the temple was gold. And it was magnificent as we read the description of Solomon's temple. And when he dedicated the temple, the glory of the Lord manifested so uh, brightly and, and so wonderfully that the priests had to stop ministering because of the glory of the Lord was so bright and so awesome. And so Jerusalem at one time was a beautiful, beautiful, awesome city that uh, was, um, you know, where God glory was there at the temple. And, and many people would come to Jerusalem and marvel at the city itself. Well, we do know what happened over time was is that Jerusalem, because of the kings of Judah in their idol worship, that the temple began to um, lose its glory. Matter of fact, we know Ezekiel has a prophecy that the glory of the Lord had left uh, the temple uh, before Jerusalem and Solomon's temple was destroyed. And, and the kings of Judah would get rid of the gold. They would pay off the enemy or they would, you know, uh, be captured by the enemy. And the, and, and the glory of Jerusalem began to decline until finally the Babylonians who came and took the house of Judah off into captivity, as you know from our lessons in these historical books of the Old Testament. They came and they took the, the Jews captive back to Babylon. And then finally in 586 B.C., they destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed that magnificent temple, Solomon's temple, and it laid in rubble. And so after the 70 years of captivity, Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, makes that decree that they could go back to Jerusalem. And so what happens is Zerubbabel, along with Joshua the high priest, take a group of people, about 50,000, they go to Jerusalem and they clear off where the altar was in Solomon's day in the first temple period and they build the altar there. And right away what they begin to do is the sacrifices and the burnt offerings. And, and that's the first work that they did was to put that altar there so they could do their devotions and their sacrifices there at the altar. And that's important for us to know 
that maybe there's somebody here tonight and maybe you feel like that you've been off in captivity somehow in some way away from the lord and and you desire for there to be restoration it's important for us to know that jesus loves you and you always come back to that place that altar that altar where they did the sacrifices speaks of and points to where jesus died for you and for me and whenever there needs to be a restoration in our own lives a, a drawing back to him a drawing closer to him always go to the cross remember what jesus has done for you remember his love for you and that he loves you now and he desires for you to come to him and that we at that time can make that decision that lord i want to be a living sacrifice for you i want to be devoted to you i want to stay close to you and read your word and i want to hear from you and i want to grow in your love and i want to know you more so that's where restoration starts in our own hearts as we come to that place of being a living sacrifice to the lord and we know that zerubbabel would eventually build the temple it, it wasn't nearly as magnificent as solomon's temple i mean again solomon had uh, over 180,000 men that were working on that temple for seven years but Zerubbabel as he built the second temple it, it was a modest building but it glorified the Lord and and the Lord honored that well later on Ezra would come back as we know from the book of Ezra that scribe that priest he would come back with a smaller number of people and then in 445 BC Nehemiah the cupbearer to the king that he got permission from the king to come back to Jerusalem almost a hundred years after Zerubbabel had come back and here is Jerusalem is still a difficult time I mean the city still has not been restored to any of its former glory the streets were in disarray the the walls were down the people were afraid uh, it was still hard and difficult the the enemies of, of those who had come back were all around them discouraging them and making them afraid and and here is Nehemiah he got permission from the king to to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem which was very important for them to do and of course you remember that as Nehemiah came to Jerusalem that he would encourage the people he said let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach and it was the people that responded by saying let us rise up and build let us set our hands to do this good work and so that's what we have seen they have been doing they've been building the wall around Jerusalem and in chapter 4 we saw that the discouragement would come because one of the truths that we've seen in Nehemiah that's a truth that we see all throughout the scriptures is that whenever God is working that there's you know the opposition from the enemy from the world that comes against that work of God there is always the enemy that rises up to oppose that work and we've seen that in the book of Nehemiah Tobiah and Sanballat ha have come to try to discourage Nehemiah and the Jews there that are rebuilding the wall and it was Tobiah that said even if a fox walks up on the wall that it will fall down so they've had opposition and also as we saw last time that in chapter 5 that there was difficulties and, and difficult circumstances and problems that arose from within and what we saw last time of course was there was famine in the land um, and some of the the Jews had to you know take uh, some interest some loans to, to pay off you know their land and, and to, to pay off their bills and debts and things like that uh, there was no food and what some of the leaders the Jews were doing was giving loans 
loans at a very high interest rate. It, it was usury. And even some of the daughters were becoming slaves. So Nehemiah hears about it, and he goes to the people and he says, this is not good. This is not right. Listen, why are you putting our children in captivity, in bondage, in slavery? We just came out from that. So you need to do what's right and to give back the lands and restore the lands and, um, and you need to do what God has called us to do because we need to walk in the fear of the Lord. And so that's something that I think that is what I got underlined when Nehemiah says this is not good. When we see that there's a brother or sister that is not walking according to the ways of the Lord or in the commands of the Lord, when there is compromise, when there's sin, when there's carnality, we can go to them in love and out of concern and a desire for them to do what is right and say, listen, brother, listen, sister, according to the word of God, this is not good. This is not good. And that we should encourage one another to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So they repented. They said, we're going to restore the lands. We're not going to be charging this, you know, uh, high interest rates. We're going to do what is right according to what the Lord would have us to do. Now what we see in chapter 6 is, is that there is the opposition, the enemies coming against them once again. And we read in chapter 6, now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono, uh, but they thought to do me harm. So as the wall is really coming together and the gaps are closed now but the gates are they're not hung they're not done yet so the enemy here is we read that it's Sambalat and Tobiah the two main enemies coming against Nehemiah that we've seen in this book what they want to do is they want to arrange a meeting they want Nehemiah to get off the wall to leave Jerusalem and come to the plain of Ono and Ono is west of Jerusalem it's near the coast it's about six miles from from you know Joppa so it's a long distance and they want Nehemiah to come into the enemy's territory to their territory coming to our villages we need to discuss this and what we're going to see in this chapter is that as we are living for the Lord and as we are desiring to serve the Lord as we are on the wall where we're supposed to be serving the Lord living for the Lord the enemy's going to come along and try to get us off that wall. He's going to use certain tactics to try to get us to stop living for the Lord and being used of the Lord particularly. And what we're going to see in this chapter is there's going to be five tactics that here Tobiah and Sanballat are going to try against Nehemiah to get him off the wall. And they're the same tactics that the enemy, Satan, will try to use to get you and I off the wall, to stop serving him and living for the Lord. So here we see the first tactic is, is that he tries to distract Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you need to stop working. You need to come into our territory and we need to talk about this 
what's going on, getting him off the wall, distracting him. In Nehemiah, we see that his response here in verse 3, so I sent messengers to them and, and saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah says, no, I am not going to go down. Why should I go down and stop this work that God has called me to do? And why should I go into your territory? And so Nehemiah, he doesn't get distracted. He doesn't give in to this, this request here to come and meet with them. He doesn't say, oh, no, these guys want to meet with me. I guess I better go down and see what they want. And the reason is because, number one, he has wisdom and discernment. He knows that these guys want to do him harm. He knows that he's not to go into the enemy's territory. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that we continue to grow in wisdom and in discernment. And the way to do that, as you know, is grow in the Word of God and take the Word of God and have it worked out in your life. You see, you can have knowledge of the Bible. You can have knowledge about what God's Word says. But are you having it worked out in your life? That's what true wisdom is. And so wisdom is saying, listen, Lord, I hear what your word says. I know the tactics of the enemy, and you have called me to be in this place, to be doing this in life, to be living a life pleasing to you, and I am not going to go into the enemy's territory. You see, here's the thing. The enemy, if he can get you to go into his territory to where you can easily be, um, you know, uh, falling into sin or temptation, are distracted away from the work of the Lord. See, he's a roaring lion sinking whom he may devour. And he's going to try to isolate you. He's trying to isolate Nehemiah. Get away from the brethren. Get away from Jerusalem. Come and let's have a meeting. Let's talk about these things. When there was no real purpose to the meetings. And Nehemiah knows that. Hey, they just want to do me harm. I'm not going to leave this good work. I'm not going to stop serving the Lord. I'm not going to stop doing my ministry. I'm not going to leave the brethren here. I'm not going to leave where I'm supposed to be. And the enemy is so good at trying to get people distracted, to, to come into the pleasures of the world, to be distracted by the things of the world, to come into his territory so he can pounce on you and really do you in and do damage in your spiritual life. One of the things that I know that I've talked about this and, and, um, is when you go to Yellowstone and when you go to the Lamar Valley in the springtime this time of year, and you can watch the wolves there. And right now the bison are dropping their youngs, and in a couple of weeks it will be the elk. And so the wolves are on the hunt, and they're going to go after you know, that animal that they can try to isolate. And when they chase a herd of elk or, you know, they go after a bunch of little baby bison, what they do is they look for that one who's going to be, you know, off by itself. They're going to look for that one that falls behind, the one that's weak, the one that ends up being isolated. Matter of fact, wolves are very good about trying to draw out an animal, trying to isolate them. They know that if they do that, they can pounce on that animal. And know this, the enemy, listen, he will try to isolate you. He will try to distract you by pulling you into the world or distract you with a number of things that will take you away from what God wants you to do and where he wants you to be. He'll try to isolate you because he knows that he can beat you up really good if he can. So be careful. And I want all of us to remember 
to grow in wisdom and discernment, grow in the scriptures, grow in, in um, you know, a prayer life to where we're hearing from the Lord and we're sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And I know that I'm repeating myself and it seems like I'm being a little redundant in saying this, but a lot of Christians don't have wisdom and discernment. And the reason that they don't have wisdom and discernment and they're ready to get involved in just about anything or anything that, you know, will take them into carnality or any weirdness or anything like that is because they don't have the wisdom of God in their heart because they don't know the word of God. So in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And don't let the world cheat you. And don't let the enemy cheat you by distracting you and getting you off the wall and what he wants to do in your life and how he wants to use you. So here he says, listen, I know what God has called me to do. And this is very important, particularly for you who are serving the Lord. In any capacity. That there will be those that will come along and say, you need to come over here. You need to do this. You need to, to be doing something else. And it's so wonderful when you know what it is that you are to be doing for the Lord. You know what it is that he's called you to do and where you're supposed to be. I know, for example, for me, that God has called me to be here to pastor this church, to be teaching you the word of God, to be in, encouraging you to grow in the word of God, to be praying for you. That's my ministry. And yet there are things that will come along to try to distract me. And a secondary application to that is this, that there will be those that can be well-minded that will come along and say, well, Pastor Jeff, why don't we do this or focus on that? And what it ends up being is a distraction. And if you're not careful, that can happen to you. Somebody comes along and says, well, you know, why are you doing this? And why are you in this place? Why don't you focus on this? And here's a good idea for you to do. Well, know this, God will let you in on it, all right, if he wants you to change course. And, of course, we always want to be open to the leading of the Lord, but it's wonderful to, to know God has me here. I know what I'm supposed to do, what my ministry is, whether that's mom, you're at home raising your children in the ways of the Lord. And there are those that will come along and say, why do you do that? And, you know, why do you focus on that? That's got to be hard. Why don't you do something different? Or maybe that you're just ministering to, you know, children or nursery or, or you go to church on Wednesday and people are saying, well, why do you do that? Why don't you come out and hang out with us and things like that? So there's many distractions that are out there that will pull you away from where God wants you to be and how he wants you to serve him. So here is Nehemiah. He's not going to give in to that. And this happens four times, these letters that come to Nehemiah. And so the fifth time we read, well, let's read verse 4, but they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. So he's consistent. I'm not going to get off the wall. And then a fifth time we see in verse 5, Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding a wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. So we see that after he, you know, refuses to meet with them after four requests, the fifth time Sanballat sends a letter, and the second tactic that the enemy will use to try to get you off the wall, for you who are jotting down notes, is that he will accuse you. And you know that 
the enemy, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, as Revelation chapter 12 tells us, who accuses us day and night. And what he'll do is he'll accuse us in many different ways. At this time, Sanballat is accusing Nehemiah of ulterior motives. Hey, you just want to, to be the leader here. You're rebelling against the king, and you're wanting to exalt yourself, and you're leading these people in a rebellion. And we know that the enemy will come along and they, he will begin to accuse you. He'll begin to accuse you. You know, who are you to think that you can do this ministry? Who are you to think that you can disciple these guys at work or witness to these guys at work? You know, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. And, and, and begin to... to confusion begin to accuse you in so many different ways saying you're doing this for selfish reasons you're not ready you're just wanting to exalt yourself you just want to show people how smart you are you're just wanting to uh, argue or whatever and so he begins to accuse us in so many different ways and that's what's happening here he's accusing nehemiah that nehemiah you got this you know plan and plot that you're going to take over judah and jerusalem and you're going to be the king and you're leading these people and we're going to write a letter to the king and we're going to tell him about what it is so in accusing him and, and doing this we know that nehemiah he knows that this response in what um, this accusation is isn't true as we read then i sent to him in verse 8 saying no such thing as you say are being done but you invent them in your own heart for they all were trying to make us afraid saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done you see when the enemy comes and accuses you and says you're not good enough you know you're not uh, worthy enough uh, you're not qualified enough uh, you're not strong enough it begins to uh, confuse you then what he wants to do is he wants to bring fear into you so number three one of the ways that the enemy and he's very good at this will get you off the wall as he brings fear into your life he brings fear into you as you desire to, to serve him and the response in nehemiah is that you invent these things in your heart you're lying you're lying and Sambalat, it's not true. And know that Satan, that he is called in the scriptures, the father of lies. He's going to lie to you, and he's going to accuse you, and he's going to try to make you afraid. And Nehemiah knows, again, in his wisdom and discernment, that Sanballat is always, always just trying to make the Jews afraid. And if he can make them afraid and confused, then they're going to become weakened in their work. They're going to begin to doubt the work that is to be done that God has called them to do. And so Nehemiah prays, Lord, strengthen our hands. There are times in life that we become afraid. And I know that there's been times in my own life that I've become afraid, even in my ministry. The, the enemy comes along and he accuses. He says, who do you think you are that you can pastor this church? You're not qualified. You're not good enough. You stutter and stammer. People aren't going to respond to you. Who do you think you are that you can move out in this ministry, that you can have a radio program? Who do you think that you are that you can disciple? You know, who do you think you are that you can be a chaplain for the sheriff's office? You can't handle those things. And there have been times when the enemy has accused me so much and try to beat me down that I've become afraid. 
And when you become afraid and when you become discouraged and you, you start to feel a little bit defeated, you feel very, very weak. And that's where a lot of people say, forget it. And he'll bring that fear in so many different ways to where, you know what, you begin to doubt and you begin to wonder and you become very feeble and weak. And our prayer needs to be this, that Lord, you strengthen me and you help me. And all throughout the scripture, as you know, that we are told not to be afraid. And the reason that we don't have to be afraid is because the Lord, he is our strength and that he is with us and he'll never leave us or forsake us. And in those times where we're overwhelmed with fear or doubting, that we turn to him and allow him to minister to us and reaffirm that, yes, I am going to use you and I'm going to work through you and my promises are true for you. So Nehemiah, he's such a godly man. Hey, you know what? I know that you're inventing these things, that you're just accusing me and they're false accusations. And you're trying to make us afraid and you're trying to get us to doubt and, and make us weak. And so he prays, Lord, strengthen our hands. And in verse 10, afterwards, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, and the son of Metatebel, who was secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. So number four, the way that the enemy, the tactic that he uses to try to get you off the walls, he will intimidate you, bully you. That's what the enemy does. He's trying to intimidate Nehemiah, and he's, Nehemiah is being told that you need to go hide out in the temple. Shemaiah seems like he has concern for Nehemiah, but he's an informant to the enemy. I'm going to intimidate him. You need to run away. You need to get out of here. You need to go hide. Boy, the enemy is good at that. You need to go hide. Just, just forget about it. Head to the hills, you know, and don't do the work of the Lord. It's too hard to really be devoted to the Lord because your family and your friends and the co-workers are going to come against you. And so, you know, he begins to intimidate you, begins to get you to, you know, wonder and, oh, man, you know, maybe I should go with the guys after work because it sure would make things easier at work we get along a lot better they're always kind of giving me a hard time because they know i'm a christian and i come to church on wednesday night and i do bible study maybe maybe i you know maybe be easier so the enemy will come and intimidate us and and that's what he does here and we also know that nehemiah here as we read in verse 12 his response he perceived that God had sent, not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. And for this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sambalat according to these, their works, and to the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Number five. He intimidates, number four, and tries to bully you, tries to push you around, go hide, 
you know, danger's coming. But number five, he'll try to get you to compromise and sin. Nehemiah knew that he was not to go into the temple because that would cause him to sin. That would cause him to sin as they would close the door because only the priests were allowed to go into the temple. And again, the enemy, he uses these tactics. He'll try to distract us. He'll begin to accuse us. He'll begin to make us afraid where we become weak. And then when we're weak, he'll intimidate us, go hide. And then he'll try to get us to compromise some way, compromise and even in the way that, Lord, I'm not living, you know, full on for you because I'm afraid, because I'm afraid I'll you know, won't be accepted at work. I won't be accepted by my co-workers. You know, I won't be accepted by my schoolmates, by family members. And so he'll try to get you to compromise and sin. And again, Nehemiah, he knows that he's not to do that. It would have been the compromise to maybe go and hide that he's hoping that Nehemiah think, well, this will be a lot easier. This will be a lot better this will be my plan. But again, Nehemiah is staying put. And he's going to stand fast, isn't he? And he is going to continue to be with the brethren. He's going to continue to look to the Lord, to be a man of prayer. He continues to, to know what God has called him to do, and he's not going to compromise from that. He's not going to leave that work. You know, may God give us the strength to be more like Nehemiah and saying, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And what I am going to do is I'm going to serve you, Lord. I'm not going to let the enemy distract me. I'm not going to allow him to uh, accuse me. Uh, I, I know that he's going to lie to me. Uh, I know that fear will come in, but you're going to make me strong, Lord. And you're going to give me the courage and strength that I need to keep living for you and to keep serving you. And I know that the enemy is going to intimidate me because the world comes against me. And I also know that he's going to try to get me to compromise in the sin and that would be a lot easier but I'm not going to do it I want to please you Lord and that's what Nehemiah does he stays focused on the work he doesn't come off the wall he stays on the wall and that's what you and I are to do and so verse 15 so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elu in 52 days and it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God the work was done in 52 days that was a miracle the wall being completed in 52 days because number one that they had the same mind and purpose Remember in chapter 2 that they said, let us rise up and, and let us build, let us set our hands to do this good work. You see, Nehemiah didn't get off the, the wall because he knew that it was a good work. Know that when you live for the Lord and as you are serving the Lord and that you're pleasing the Lord with your life as you're ministering to others, that it is a wonderful work that God is doing in you and it's a wonderful work that you do for the Lord and it is a good work. It is a great work. That's what Nehemiah said. Why should I leave this great work? And what happens is, is sometimes we can think, well, Lord, where you have me and how you're using me, it seems so insignificant. Nobody notices it. It's not, it must not be very important. I know that maybe that I am at home. 
and I'm desiring to raise my children in the ways of the Lord. Or a husband who says that I am not going to go out with the guys after work and I'm going to come home and I'm going to lead my family in devotions and I'm going to love my wife. For those of us who say, you know, I'm going to take a a guy at work and I'm going to share with him and disciple him or I'm going to teach children, I'm going to work in the nursery, I'm going to minister somehow in the opportunities that God has given to me, I'm going to lead a prayer group, I'm going to lead a home fellowship, I'm going to have some guys over and we're going to have a Bible study or some girls over and the ladies have a Bible study. Uh, And you can think, well, it's not that important. It is important. And if you're behind the scenes just living for the Lord and living a life pleasing to the Lord and serving Him in whatever capacity, it's a good work. And God sees it as a good work. Now the world comes along and says it's not significant, and and there may be others that may not notice you, but God sees it. And Nehemiah knew that the work that he was doing in building this wall was a great work and a good work, and whatever God has you to do is a good work. Never forget that, all right? Because we can get very, very discouraged. And we think, what I'm doing for you, Lord, isn't important. Yes, it is. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. That means he has something for you to do that only you can do, and that's why he has placed you where he has placed you. So it's a good work, and he's going to reward you openly. And don't get discouraged. If he has you doing a ministry, be faithful to it. Be faithful to that ministry that he's given you to do. And and don't think that it's insignificant because it isn't to the Lord. It's very important. It isn't to your children that mom and dads or grandma and grandpas that you're ministering to and sharing the word of God with them, praying with them. That brother at work, those two guys at work, or three that, that you take time and you share with them scripture. It isn't to those children or the youth or the Bible study that you might have or at home fellowship that you have opportunity to minister. It isn't insignificant to them. And so know that it's a great work. Whatever God has you to do. And then don't stop. Nehemiah, he completed the wall in 52 days. It wasn't 53. He didn't say, okay, I need to leave guys for a little bit and I need to go meet with these guys. I need to argue and debate and see what it is that they want. It was 52 days because he didn't stop. He didn't get distracted. He didn't give in to the tactics of the enemy. He stayed focused on what he was supposed to do and where he was supposed to be and he depended on the Lord and the Lord was working through him. Be faithful. Don't stop. Don't give up. There are times, again, as I mentioned, that as the enemy uses these tactics that we think, well, I'm just going to kind of give up and do my own thing. Don't go there. Keep doing. Be faithful in the little things, right? Zerubbabel was told when he was building the temple. Remember the work stopped for a number of years? The people got frustrated. They turned inwardly. They, they left the work, and, and it was Zechariah that came and had a message of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel 
You've laid the foundation. The temple's going to be finished. Don't despise the day of small things. If you feel like that you're in a day of small things, don't despise it, all right? Don't despise it. Be faithful where God has given you and be thankful that he desires to use you. Sometimes we use the world's, you know, definition of success rather than God's definition of success. Jesus would say to Peter, Peter, go out into the shallow. You know, I want to use your boat, borrow your boat to, to minister to the people that are up on the shore. And that's what Peter did. And I imagine Peter's just kind of sitting there in his boat, you know, going, okay, Jesus is, you know, giving preaching and stuff. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, now I want you to go out to the deep and cast your nets. And Peter had a big haul that he brought in. Oftentimes we say, Lord, I want to go out to the deep and I want to, you know, do these great things for you, Lord, and minister to all these people and show them. And perhaps he would have some do that. He's called some to do that. But I'll tell you this, he always says, go out into the shallows first. Can you just do that? Be faithful in the little things. And then I'll give you greater things to do. So Nehemiah knew that he was to stay put. They had the same mind and same purpose. The Bible says, as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, stand fast in one mind and one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's a word for your family. That's a word for this church. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to the Lord and what he's called you to do. Always being open to how he wants to move you and open doors for you for ministry, but just stay faithful to what he's called you to do. Second of all, you remember that the reason that they were able to finish this wall in 52 days is because they set a watch. Remember chapter 4? They set a watch, man. They were shoulder to shoulder. They took care of each other. They were ones that they had a trial in one hand and they had a sword in the other hand because the enemy was threatening them and saying, we're going to come and kill you. So they set a watch. And the New Testament tells us over and over again that you watch, you be sober, you be vigilant. Don't go to sleep. Another thing is that can happen is that we can go to sleep spiritually. And we know that, you recall, in our recent lesson of First Thessalonians that Paul, when he was writing to those Christians, he would tell them that you're to watch, you're to, to you're children of the light, and you're to be ones that are sober and, and uh, watchful, as he would encourage them. He said, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let those of us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as the helmet of hope of salvation. So be watchful, watch be watching for the Lord. Be watching out for the tactics of the enemy. Don't go to sleep spiritually. So they set a watch. Thirdly, again, as we've gone over tonight, they were able to finish the wall in 52 days because they didn't get distracted. They didn't get off the wall. Stay focused. Keep your eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world. Jesus said that those who put their hands to the plow and keep looking bad or not, back are not fit for the kingdom of God. You need to keep focus on the finish line. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted. Don't let the enemy intimidate you and, and accuse you and, and try to get you to compromise. You keep your eyes on God and walk in his wisdom, in his strength, and in his ways. And then fourthly, they had discernment. As the scripture says in 2 
Corinthians, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And then, verse 16, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. This was a glorious moment, and they're going to celebrate that moment in just a little bit. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And when God is working through us and in our lives, as we're going to see in our Sunday study, that those who you know, are sowing to the Spirit of the Spirit, you're going to reap to everlasting life. Good things are going to happen. And don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time, you're going to reap a good harvest. There's a harvest that's going to come. There's eternal rewards that are going to be given in eternity, but even in this life. Mom and dads, when you raise your children in the ways of the Lord and you're committed to that, and you're not going to allow the enemy to come in and distract you and bully you and intimidate you and try to compromise or the world, you know what's going to happen? Over time, you're going to see those children that are growing up knowing the Lord and loving the Lord. As you're one that you're being a light at work, you're going to see that God's going to use that somehow in some way. When you're one that you're serving the Lord in, in some way within the body of Christ, that you're going to see people being blessed and you're going to see that people are going to be benefited because you've stayed focused and that you've said, I'm going to be faithful to what you've called me to do and to love others and to encourage others. And then God gets the glory. God gets the glory. And as we finish tonight, in those days, the nobles, verse 17 of Judah, sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Jeho. Anan had married the daughter of Meshalam and the son of Berechiah. In verse 19, also they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So Tobiah is interesting, a relative of the Jews by marriage. And so there were some of the Jews that were informing him of the progress of the work. This is how the work's going. They should have never been friends with the enemy. And verse 19, they reported his good deeds before me. In other words, what they were saying was to Nehemiah, these guys that were informants, these guys that were telling Tobiah, kind of messengers, hey, Nehemiah, he isn't so bad. Nehemiah, maybe you're being unreasonable. Nehemiah, here's some more letters for you. He just wants to talk to you. But it was to frighten Nehemiah, and he kept doing the work. Listen, may all of us be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. May we be ones that we're building up and not tearing down. That we are ones that we are just praying for others. That we are ones that really are being benefit to others because we need each other. <laughs> the world out there isn't friendly to us, is it? And there's not a whole lot of us, are there? And it's wonderful for us to come into this place again where we can be blessed and encouraged and love on one another and that we can give each other the word of God and, and really lift each other up. I know I find that to be true. 
that when you guys come in and your love and your support for me and for my family is a tremendous blessing. And I hope that it's so true for this fellowship that we would just be a blessing to one another and encouraging one another. And the brethren, for the most part, were that way with Nehemiah, but there are those who are coming along and saying, oh, Nehemiah this and Nehemiah that, and he isn't so bad, and you should be distracting. Go down and... No, we don't want to be tearing each other down, distracting each other. We don't want to be a discouragement to others. We want to be a blessing and encouragement and giving each other the Word of God and the instructions of God and praying for each other. Because God's building a wall. He's building a wall with us. He's doing a work, in other words, a good work. And he wants to continue to do that work. I believe that so much. I believe he's just getting started. And when we see God blessing and him working, the opposition is going to come and we can very easily get distracted. And we can very easily begin to tear each other down and very easily begin to, to you know, become afraid or whatever it may be. But let's keep our eyes on the Lord, all right? And let's keep serving him. The Lord's coming back. Let's keep watchful. Let's not get distracted. Let's have discernment and wisdom. And let's keep our eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world, and allowing him to strengthen our hands and what he has for us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this word that you've given to us. And, Lord, this chapter that we've learned from. And Lord, that Nehemiah is what a godly man. He didn't get off the wall. He stayed put, being faithful to what you called him to do, encouraging his brethren to live rightly, encourage them to keep serving. He put a sword in one hand and a, and a trial in the other and told them that God is great and awesome and fight for your brethren, fight for your wives, fight for your families, your children. And Lord, help us to fight the good fight of the Spirit. And Lord, we know that he who has begun that good work in us, you promise that you will bring it to completion. Just as the wall was completed here in the book of Nehemiah, that you're going to complete the work that you're doing in our lives. So we don't have to give in to the intimidation of the enemy. We don't have to give in to the fear of the enemy, the distraction, the intimidation, and the temptations of the enemy to get us to compromise, but Lord, to keep you in the foremost in our minds and hearts, becoming a living sacrifice that we may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Father, we thank you that tonight we can come to the communion table as believers. And Lord, help us to right now just be in that place of worship. We began the service by talking about how when they came back, they, they built the altar. And if there's anybody here tonight that, first of all, that has never come to Jesus Christ, maybe somebody that's watching on live stream, that Jesus loves you and he came and died for your sins because all of us are sinners. And it's in Jesus and through Jesus 
and what he did for you on Calvary's cross and he rose from the grave comes forgiveness of sin and eternal life. It doesn't come through anyone else or anything else. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And when we as believers come to the communion table, we're remembering what Jesus did for us and allowing his body to be broken, his bloodshed for the forgiveness of sin. So if anybody here, if you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he is the way to eternal life. He is the Son of God who loves you and died for you. Make a decision to surrender your life to him for eternal life. Today is the day of salvation. Come to him right now and pray, Jesus, I open my heart to you. I open my life to you. I confess that I am a sinner in need of you who died for my sins, the Son of God. Forgive me. And you rose from the grave, you're alive. And I now open my heart to you, surrender my life to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, thank you for forgiving me and loving me and becoming a sacrifice for me personally. Thank you for, Lord, making me born again by the Spirit of God. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.